Exodus 30, 34. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto thee sweet spices, stacte and anica, galbanum, these sweet spices with pure frankincense. Of each there shall be a like weight. And thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection after the art of the apothecary, tempered together, pure and holy. And thou shalt beat some of it very small and put of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation where I will meet with thee. It shall be unto you most holy. And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, you shall not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. Whosoever shall make like unto that to smell thereto shall even be cut off from his people. I'd like to speak to you on the subject, the ingredients of worship. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. The Old Testament of our Bible is a valuable resource of inspiration and truth. And we understand that it is the foundation of the New Testament, the New Covenant. Jesus said that I did not come to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill the law. Came to fulfill every righteous ordinance and to take the law to a higher level. From just actions to the heart of living for God there. There's a lot of insight and understanding about the foundation of our faith in principle and practice that is found in the Old Testament. There's a lot of insight and understanding that's gleaned from studying the patterns established in the Old Testament. Uh, Through the years I've taught more than once from Psalm 133, that is the, the message on unity, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the oil, the precious anointing oil that was poured on Aaron and that's Psalm 133, two components there. But I like to talk about that oil and it was also prescribed by the Lord to Moses in Exodus chapter 30. It was to be pure myrrh, cinnamon, calamus and cassia and the composition of the holy anointing oil gives us insight into the nature of the anointing. The blend of those four spices in about five quarts of olive oil beaten together after the art of the apothecary, someone who knew how to work with spices and to make perfumes and scents, uh, worked with this, and it was also holy to the Lord and not, could, could not be replicated in general life. And so it is in Exodus 30, after God gives Moses the instructions for the holy anointing oil, he now moves into this area of incense, that is a type of worship unto God that is offered up to him as a sweet-smelling savor, something that is pleasant to the Lord. He gives Moses the instruction for these four spices, stacte, anica, galbanum, and then those sweet spices are to be mixed with frankincense, uh, equal measure, it seems, of each put together Uh, Someone with the art of apothecary probably rendering them down. I read that there was probably a pound of it used every day in Hebrew worship. So these ingredients were pretty important. They were uh, a confection, it is called there, 
took the art of the apothecary, as I mentioned, and the ingredients were to be tempered together in this one incense. The Bible said they were to be pure and holy. It describes the setting apart of these ingredients, of this incense, for a holy purpose. And the use of this incense was to be before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation. If you went into the tabernacle or temple, but this is in the days of the tabernacle in the wilderness, I mentioned, and we know the, the brazen altar, the laver of water, into the holy place where it's a table of showbread, and uh, there's also the candlestick. And before you go into the most holy place, there is an altar of incense, a square table where incense was offered unto the Lord just before the high priest once a year would go into the most holy place. This is the location in verse 36 that this incense is to be placed. In, before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation, the Lord said, Where I will meet with thee, and it shall be unto you most holy. Now, wherever we got these spices from, and I'll talk about that some in a few minutes, uh, they're just spices gathered from here and gathered from there. If they were not set apart for this holy use, there's nothing sacred in themselves. We anoint with olive oil uh, to pray over the sick in obedience to the Bible in the book of James. We recognize that oil is symbolic of the anointing of God. But we know that that same oil that's on the shelf at your local grocery store is not holy, uh, maybe pure or impure, but it is for common everyday use. It is a setting apart of that oil for a holy purpose that makes it sanctified unto the Lord. Just as us in our lives are set apart to God for a holy purpose. They're to beat some of it very small. Some commentaries try to liken this to Jesus Christ being beaten. I'm not sure I can make that leap of application, but possibly that would be true. So this is placed, a portion of this, not all of it, is placed there right outside the holy place, and it is, it is most holy. Verses 37 and 38. He says that you're not supposed to make this in life. You know, you can't go online and copy a recipe from this famous restaurant and use it at home. In this sense, you can't go to the scriptures, go to the priest and say, look, I would love to have some of that incense at the house. I love the way it smells. So we're going to burn some of that at home. You know, those online recipes sometimes leave out an ingredient or two, leave out a portion or two, so it's, it's almost impossible to exactly duplicate it. But the Lord said this is off limits. You cannot make this to burn in your home in any public life. This is set apart to the Lord. And he goes a step further. Anybody who does this is going to be killed. I would say that he takes this very seriously. That whatever is set apart to God for a holy purpose belongs to the Lord, is to be used in His kingdom for His purpose. And if you try to take what really belongs to God and use it for some unholy purpose, in God's mind, it is totally unacceptable. And in that day, you are going to die. 
So I thought I would look around and find some more information on this. Very difficult to ferret out a lot about the application of this. And I found a website called the Temple Institute. And I thought this was very interesting and I want to say this for a reason. They say the incense which was offered in the Holy Temple was made from 11 different ingredients, only four of which were mentioned by name in the verse above. The identity of the other seven spices has been passed down in the oral tradition. When I saw that, I had all kinds of red flags go up because you may know that the oral tradition is what the Jewish people did to the law of God. They codified it, they added to it, they had a prohibition for every day of the year, they took it and they stretched it, and it was all out of sorts. And I was kind of amused by the idea that God in His Word said, you take four spices. But over time, you know, somebody thought, well, we'll add a little of this, and we'll add a little of that, and we'll pass it down, and this rabbi and that rabbi will have the authority to change it. Well, seven spices later, I have a feeling it is not like the thing that God ordained from the beginning. It is like adding to or taking from the Word of God. There is a purity that should be in our worship, that should be biblical, that should be sincere, and we know that we worship Him in sincerity and in truth. And we don't add to We don't try to enhance what God has ordained because it doesn't need man's hand to perfect it. Amen? So, you know, just for what it's worth. And then he gives us the the ingredients of this incense that is typical or symbolic of worship. Now, they were to take this and smoldered on a bed of coals that were taken from the brazen altar twice every day. And the brazen altar, we know, was a place of repentance and death. And it's important, I say this fairly often, to know that worship is to originate in a right relationship with God. I've said it kind of recently, just extemporaneously as I was preaching So we know that we've got to start with repentance, right relationship, and then those coals become the source of fuel to burn this incense to the Lord. And I have this strong belief that God does not do anything randomly, and when He chooses these four spices, He has some specific reasons in mind. The first is called stacti. Stacti was an aromatic gum, that was produced from a desert shrub. And the substance would drip or ooze from the plant and it would yield its resin rather freely. It seems that this spice was one that was kind of generous as opposed to others and maybe would indicate that our praise to the Lord, and I'm going to make application here, I would not dare tread on the soil of interpretation of these spices, but you have to try to see what the Lord said and what does that mean in our application in our life. That stacti to me is something that is given freely unto the Lord. That worship should not be coerced. We shouldn't have to have 
a worship cheerleader up front, kind of getting everybody going. And you know that the worship team becomes a performance group that we hold up scorecards to and decide whether, you know, that was fit for our consumption or not. But worship should be like stacked. It is generous, not coerced, that it is freely given to the Lord. The second spice that is used is very interesting to me, or substance really, you may not call it a spice, but it was called Annika. And Annika was taken from shells or crustaceans that were found in the sea. And my reading about this, probably the Mediterranean Sea would yield the best. And it may symbolize us deep and heartfelt worship. Why would God go after a shell that you have to grind up to create a powder when burn would create a certain aroma. The third spice is galbanum. Galbanum is a gum-like resin that occurs in a small semi-translucent tears or in a brownish-yellow mass. has a pleasant aromatic color. If you taste it, it's bitter. And uh, today it's imported from Persia. It seems, and I read another source that is similar to a parsley plant, that would be rather powerful or pungent. And one writer on the subject of worship said that from this galbanum we get the idea that worship should be passionate, should be energetic, should have power to it. It shouldn't be dead, dry, or boring. And then there is frankincense. It came from a scrubby little tree found in the Middle East. It was harvested by scraping the bark of the tree through this injury to the tree and the gum would ooze out. One place I read it would drip to the ground but it would, after it dried it would be collected, crushed and it would turn white and kind of yield a purity of color. We know that frankincense must have been extremely expensive and everything you read about frankincense would say that. We know that when the wise men brought gifts to Mary and Joseph and Jesus, they brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This spice was one of the three things that were brought by the wise men to Jesus, which seemed to have sustained them through their travels to Egypt and back. It was a source of income uh, to Jesus and Mary and Joseph, a source of worship for the wise men. So it seems that this frankincense would indicate something that is costly, that is sacrificial, that really is not something that is easily rendered. Amen. So I want to uh, talk about these ideas because when we worship God, we should really worship God according to the way that He prescribes, not in the way that we would prescribe. For example, with this frankincense and myrrh, it should be our very best that we have to offer the Lord. In Leviticus, the Lord said, You will not offer to the Lord that which is bruised or crushed or broken or cut, neither shall you make any offering thereof in your land. The Lord said, When you come to offer me, I want you to give me the very best that you have. So, let's talk about these spices and how they might apply to how we worship the Lord. The stacte, 
the free-flowing spice worship that is generous and not coerced. Annika worship that symbolizes deep, heartfelt worship. Galbanum, sweet, potent, pungent, symbolizing energy, excitement, and passion. Frankincense, expensive, costly, something that is really coming from a sacrifice of praise. So we have generous worship, deep worship, energetic worship, and sacrificial worship. If these ingredients have any voice into our lives, they would tell you that when there is a savor that comes to God, it should have the characteristics of those spices or ingredients of worship in the Old Testament. Our worship should be like that. Now our worship comes from many forms, music, gestures, but typically we would think of our praise being words to the Lord. And those words to the Lord should not just be lip service. I have a feeling that everybody in this room could remember or doesn't want to remember a time when you were saying things but you really weren't there. You were clocked out mentally somewhere else. You were not giving it everything you had. Well, the Lord loves worship that comes out of the heart. In Isaiah 29, the Lord said, For as much as this people, the people of Israel, draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, even though they may have generous worship, deep worship in a sense, and you know they've got energetic worship, and they've got sacrificial worship, you know, maybe is that really where it's coming from or is that coming from the depth of the soul? In the Psalms, there are three places that speak of worshiping God with your whole heart. Psalm 9 and 1, I will praise thee, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. Psalm 111, 1, praise you, the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. Psalm 138, 1. I will praise thee with my whole heart before the gods or in the presence of a pagan culture will I sing praise unto thee. And my praise will be generous, it will be deep, it will be energetic, and it will be sacrificial. That is the way I will worship the Lord. Now, worship being right, truth, and being sincere from the heart is a big deal to God. I mentioned uh, about the sincerity of this, but in Exodus 30, the same chapter, if you back up a few verses, Exodus 30 and 6, uh, it tells us that when you go into worship the Lord, that I will meet you there that Aaron will burn this sweet incense every morning and he'll light the lights. But then he says in Exodus 30 and 9, you shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall you pour drink offering thereon. In other words, he said, I don't want anything inferior. I don't want any substitutions to what I prescribe in worship. Amen. In Leviticus 16, the Bible said Aaron's going to bring the bullock for the sin offering. This is on the Day of Atonement. 
and that he's going to bring a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord. I want to just remind you there that worship has to originate from a right relationship with God. The Old Testament records a tragic worship experience in Leviticus chapter 9. Moses and Aaron are offering sacrifice to the Lord. They went in the congregation, blessed the people, and when they offered to the Lord, a fire came down from heaven before the Lord, and it consumed the burnt offering and the fat. And when all the people saw it, they shouted in praise, and they fell on their faces before the Lord. I'm, I'm kind of focusing on worship being sincere and generated from a right relationship with God, those coals from the brazen altar, not just right form, not just the right words, but the right heart. Well, there were two young priests, Nadab and Abihu. In the rush of excitement, in the frenzy of people shouting and falling on their faces, they wanted to get in on the action. So, they ran to the nearest fire. We don't know where it was. We know where it was not. They put some fire on their sensor. Now, if you Google sensor images and you read about sensors, it probably looks somewhat like a vase. Some are ornate gold and they would have vents or ports where the incense, the smoke of incense would be generated and pour up to the Lord, flow up to the Lord. So Nadab and Abihu grabbed their censers. They opened them up. They put some coals from I don't know where, the oven at the house, campfire in front of their tent. And then they evidently used the right incense, put it on top of those coals, and they went out there, these uh, censers, typically you see them on a chain that would be waved before the Lord. And they went to worship and they started worshiping before the Lord. They got the right incense, you know, inside it's got the right ingredients. It's got stacte and galbanum and onica and frankincense. But underneath is a strange fire. If you study what strange fire means, you just know it's anything but the real fire. Anybody ever been in church any time in your life and there was all the ingredients of worship, but it didn't smell right, it didn't feel right, it just wasn't right? You know, because it might have been offered in the right form and words and melody and vocally it sounded good, but it just didn't feel right. Well, on this day, it must not have felt right to God. Because while there offering before the Lord, this incense was strange fire, the Bible says, there went out a fire from the Lord and devoured them and they died before the Lord. Now, I've never seen that happen in a worship service. I hope I never do. But I do want to say that worship to God is a sacred, holy thing. It is not something that we just get the form right. And I've said this before in times past, that before you get into your place of ministry, you make sure you get in a right relationship with God. 
before you get behind an instrument or a pulpit, before you get in a place of ministry, whether it is uh, in church time serving or in, on the platform, make sure you go there having a call from an altar of right relationship. Make sure your heart is right, that you've repented, that you're clean, that you're serving God. Amen? And then when you get the coals right, when you get the relationship right, then go ahead and add this sacred incense of worship and it will be accepted to God and the fire of blessing will come down and not the fire of cursing. Just to kind of reiterate this, later in the history of Israel under the leadership of Moses, a man named Korah and some cohorts of his kind of got it in for Moses. They went to Moses and they say, said something like this, Moses, you, you take too much upon yourself. You think you've got too much authority. You think you're a hot shot. Some people would say in a slang way, you're too big for your britches, Moses. And when they said that to Moses, the Bible said, when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. Now, when you're the kind of person like Moses was, that talks to God face to face as a man talks to his friend, and you've been up on top of Mount Sinai, and you've seen fire and smoke, and you know the glory of God, when you hear somebody say something that blasphemous, kind of scares you. And instead of Moses getting all red in the face and fired up, he just falls on his face like, oh no. I don't want to see what happens next. So Moses says to Korah and his company, I'll tell you what, tomorrow let's all come worship before the Lord. And the Lord will show us who is holy and show us who is not. I want you to take censers, Korah, and I want you to put fire on them and incense on them. And then we're going to all come worship before the Lord. And we'll let the Lord decide who takes too much on himself. Moses said to Korah, you're the one who's really gotten out of his place. Number 16, 17. Put every man a censer, put incense in them and bring you before the Lord every man his censers, and there were 250 men who came with their censers to worship God. So they've got fire, they've got incense. We don't know where they got their fire from, but it sounds like maybe it was okay. But, but there's something wrong in the motive of their worship. These are rebels. So they come and they stand before the congregation of the Lord and Korah is there and Moses is there. And the Lord says to Moses and Aaron, jump back. Now in the King James it says, separate yourselves. <laughs> jump back is a very loose translation. <laughs> the Lord said, Moses and Aaron, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume in a moment. And they fell upon their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and wilt thou be wroth? with all the congregation. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get you up from about the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Moses went to them and told them, Depart from the tents of these wicked men, 
Don't touch anything of theirs lest you're consumed in your sins. And then we're going to know from the Lord who belongs to Him and who does not. And Moses said, if nothing happens, then we know these guys are okay. But if the Lord does something He's never done before and the earth opens up and swallows them, then you'll kind of know, yeah, I guess so, that these men have provoked the Lord. It came to pass that when Moses finished saying that, that the ground opened up and the earth swallowed them, their houses and the men that appertained or part of Korah's group, and they went down into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they all died. But not the 250 men who were standing before the tabernacle with their censers. God had something different for them. It's reminiscent of what happened to Nadab and Abihu. Numbers 16.35 said, There came a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. Whole many people down into the pit, these men consumed. And then something very interesting. The Lord says to Moses, Speak to Eliezer. I want you to go around by where those 250 men were. Because the men were not holy, but those censers, those censers, they were hallowed to the Lord. The instrument of worship is fine. I want you to take them, number 1638, and I want you to, to smash them down. And I want you to make broad plates. And I want you to affix them to the brazen altar. So every time someone comes to pray or offer sacrifice or repent and get right with God, there will be a solemn reminder that God takes worship very seriously that it has to be born of a right relationship with God. The memorial was made on the brazen altar. 250 censers beaten flat. Create a built-into panels and put on that altar there. One more instance, a similar thing, and I'm not trying to be scary or, you know, spooky tonight or bring judgment. I, I just want to spotlight. I talked last Thursday, uh, last Wednesday night. It's catching, Brother Jerry. Thursday night, last Wednesday night, on the heart of worship. So this is a little bit about the heart of worship, right? You may remember in the New Testament because somebody's saying, yeah, but that was in the Old Testament where God killed people who were insincere or rebellious or were not obeying God. You may remember a man named Uzzah who stretched out his hand to steady the cart when they were not worshiping God after the due order struck dead because he was trying to straighten something out that didn't need man's help because they were worshiping God completely wrong. The ark was to be carried on the shoulders of men, that sacred box, you know. When I say the word ark in 2015, I always feel like I need to clarify that it was not Noah's ark. On a cart or on the shoulders of men, right? Ananias and Sapphira. There's a spirit of sacrifice in the church. Barnabas gives a lead offering, has land sales, gives it to the Lord. 
Ananias and Sapphira have land. It's their land. They don't have to sell it. They don't have to give the money. But they sell the land. And after they sell the land, we don't know what's going on in their mind exactly, Acts chapter 5. But somehow in there they say, you know, this is a lot of money. And you know, Ananias, maybe we should keep that back. I've been wanting to redo our kitchen. You know, Sapphira, you're right. And I want a new set of golf clubs and whatever. Whatever was going through their mind. And so they just, they just kind of conspired. When we go to lay this money down at the apostles' feet, we'll tell them it's everything, even though it's really not. Now, Peter tells them, while you had the land, it was in your own power. You didn't have to do this. The sin is not choosing what you give. The, cho- the sin is lying to the Holy Ghost and pretending to be all in when you're really not. That's the problem. And Ananias and Sapphira both die before the Lord a few hours apart. Ananias and Sapphira, Nadab and Abihu, Korah and a whole slew of people that die there because they don't take worship and sacrifice seriously from God's perspective. So that's, that's pretty sobering to me. That when I come to worship God, I'm not going to throw up my hands. not going to pretend. I want to make sure that my worship is flowing out of a heart that is first God in itself right with God. Amen? That my mind, my will, my emotions, my attitudes, my actions, my appearance, that I'm aligned with God and I stand before Him and I can lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting. Amen? Amen. And then when I do that, I can make sure that I come and that my worship mirrors the four ingredients of worship of the incense in Exodus chapter 30. Let's talk a little more about the stack day. Because I want to give you some other scriptures that just help us see the prescription of this in worship. Remember, this is the free-flowing sap that generously gives itself and is easily harvested. It doesn't have to be coerced. Psalm chapter 54, 6. I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. Psalm 119, 108. Except I beseech thee the freewill offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me thy judgments. So worship should really flow Freely out of our hearts. Amen. Remember, we don't need a cheerleader. We don't need someone to wind us up. It doesn't have to be our favorite song. It doesn't have to be our genre of music. Amen. It just has to be an opportunity to worship God and let it flow out of my heart, out of my mind, across my lips. Amen. My worship should be a free will offering unto the Lord. Amen. An offering like that. Worship freely. Praise God. And then there is the Annika, that that shell that comes out of the deep, that crustacean that is ground up and used in incense. Proverbs 18 and 4 says that the words of a man's mouth are as deep waters, 
and the wellspring of wisdom as a flowing brook. Heartfelt worship is a big deal to God. And I, I repeat, I will praise you with my whole heart is what the Bible says. And I will praise you with my whole heart. I will praise you with my whole heart before the gods will I sing praises to you. So Annika is that depth of worship that really comes. It's flowing freely, but it comes from real deep inside of your spirit. And then is the galbanum, this sweet but potent spice that is kind of, you know, pungent and gives you this feeling of energy and passion. Now, if this spice was not there, and if it doesn't have anything to do with that, I wanted to just show you what the Bible says about worship. That when we worship God, it should be with passion and energy. Psalm 28 and 2. Hear the voice of my supplication when I cry unto thee, when I lift up my hands toward thy holy oracle. In the Bible, in numbers of places, the Bible says that part of worship is the expression of lifting up your hands to the Lord. Amen? We have a mouth, and if we have hands that can be raised, and I don't say that facetiously, some people cannot raise their hands, but if you can, you should. Psalm 63 and 4, I will bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. Psalm 134 and 2, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Psalm 141, 2, let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And I love what Lamentations 3.41 said, let us lift up our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. Now I've read different variations of that verse, other translations, but I think it's kind of true. I can't prove this, but there's something, maybe a connection to lifting up my hands and lifting up my hearts. My heart, amen? The Bible in Hebrews talks about lift up the hands that hang down and the feeble knees, right? So there's something about getting in the presence of God, exalting Him as Lord, lifting up holy hands without wrath or doubting that puts me in His presence and it is the energy of worship that is not lethargic, amen? Clapping your hands and shouting is how we worship God. Part of this galbanum or energetic worship. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Psalm 147 and 1. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Speaks of that. Not a lot of scriptures about clapping your hands like that, but other variations of that. And then, one that you've been hoping for is Psalm 149 and 3. Let them... Praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and harp. Psalm 150 verse 4. Praise him with the tambourine, the timbrel, and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs. It is acceptable. It is encouraged. It is part of our worship. That Well, you say, well, I just worship generously or from the deep. But the incense had all four ingredients there, amen. And this ingredient symbolizes the idea that worship is to be with joy and rejoicing and energy and passion. 
The word rejoicing is often referenced in worship. First Chronicles 16.10 Glory ye in His holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. I've mentioned this in the last couple of weeks. But I'm a pretty reflective person. I can drive down the road by myself with nothing on, just thinking. I like to think. I love the book by John Maxwell, Thinking for a Change. Thinking for a change. But anyway, uh, but when you come to worship, this is not the place or the time, in most cases, you know, to have a moment of silence that lasts for an hour. This is corporate worship. I know that in heaven there will be silence for 30 minutes compared to eternity of worship and praise and noise and all of that. Around the throne of God there's praise. But, you know, I understand some people that their personalities are different. They may not be extrovert. They may not be an extrovert. They may not be the kind of person that would, in church, you know, uh, leap and dance and praise the Lord. They may be a, a more quiet person. But, again... There's lots of time in your life that you can find to express your praise to God or devotion to the Lord in reflection or meditation on the scripture. But when you come into corporate worship, this is a place to rejoice. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let men say among the nations, the Lord reigneth. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the fields rejoice and all that is Therein, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, all ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Our praise is to be generous and free-flowing. Our praise is to come out of the depths of our soul. Our praise should be energetic and lively, and our praise should be sacrificial and costly. That's the frankincense. This very expensive spice that's going to set you back something when you buy it. The Ark of the Covenant was away from Israel. The Bible said 20 years they lamented after the Lord. Now when David's trying to bring it back, it is at the house of Aruna. And David goes there to bring the Ark back. His house is blessed. And Aruna is so thankful for what God is doing in his life and he offers to give this threshing floor to David. Just give it to him as a designated place of worship. Let me give this to you, king. But David says back to him, You know, I'm not going to let you give this to me, Aruna. I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. David said he bought it for 50 shekels of silver, built an altar, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings unto the Lord. And the Lord was entreated, and the plague that had been moving through Israel was stopped. So there is this idea that is not just David's idea that worship should really cost me something. If you were a part of a sports team, you would probably hear your coach say from time to time, you need to leave everything on the field. 
The next day, if you've played really well, you should be sore, maybe hardly able to move because you gave it everything you had while you were there. Right? Amen? But when you come to church, that is not the time to hold everything back to give to your employer or somebody else on Monday. When we come to the Lord, we should let our worship be extravagant, energetic, let it flow freely, and let it cost you something. Amen. It's okay if you're a little sweaty when you leave church because you are praising and praying and worshiping the Lord. It should be costly. Malachi, as soon as you say the word Malachi, church goers say, oh, he's going to talk about tithing. Well, Malachi talks about that, but the Lord said in Malachi 1.11, from the rising of the sun, even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering, and my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. But you, the Lord said to his Jewish people, you have profaned it, saying the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, and even his meat is contemptible. You also said, behold, what a weariness is it. And you snuffed at it. And you said, the Lord of hosts, and, and you brought as an offering to me that which was torn and the lame and the sick. Thus you have brought an offering. And the Lord said, should I accept that at your hand? You rationalized before you left your house. Oh my goodness, look at this. This is a lamb that's real, is healthy. We could sell that in the market and make a lot of money. Why would you take a perfectly healthy lamb without any blemishes, go to church with it, sacrifice it, kill it? It's going to die anyway. Why don't we get old Zeke out there in the pasture? He's half dead. He can't see. He's got worms. He's going to die anyway. Let's just drag that to church. We'll get there late. And we'll just give, you know, give that to the Lord because after all, he's just going to kill it. He's got blood like, like that perfect lamb over there. And, and this was the mentality of the Jewish people in Malachi's day. That they rationalized that we're going to save the best for ourselves. Right? And we're going to give to God lame worship, sick worship. And the Lord said, should I accept this at your hand? Like, are you serious? But he said, but cursed be the deceiver, which has a, in his flock a male and voweth and sacrifices unto the Lord. A corrupt thing. If you had your best at home, and you brought your worst to the Lord, he said, that's a corrupt thing, and it's cursed. For I, the Lord said, am a great king, and my name 
is dreadful or respected among the heathen. These people who don't know much about me revere me and my people who are supposed to bring their very best are making a mockery of worship. Now I believe that worship should be in spirit and in truth. Many years ago when we lived in St. Louis, we went to a Carmen concert. That was back in the day when denominational churches did not have expressive worship. It was either Pentecostal churches that were lively or denominational churches that were basically dead. And it seemed to me that that man, along with some others, introduced passionate, demonstrative you know, worship to many people. We looked in, a, in an arena of about 18,000 people and he got them. He kind of talked them into raising their hands and you could tell it was a new thing. And I was sitting there with my wife saying, look at this. You know, these people don't do this in their churches. But fast forward to today, 2015, you can go to a lot of churches in this town where they have rock and music and people raise their hands and they worship God and they may or may not experience spiritual worship where they speak in tongues. Some places they do, some they do not. But you could say that their worship is free. It may be deep or not deep, but I would say it's at least generous and it is energetic. But it may not be deep and it certainly may not be sacrificial in terms that it comes out of this right relationship. But I'm not here tonight to speak against them or to decry what's going on elsewhere. What I am saying is that we're people who are shouting and praising and dancing and running and lifting our hands when it wasn't cool. When it wasn't in vogue. Where it wasn't being done in churches everywhere. And God forbid that we would be the people that would go back to that frozen chosen people. Amen. Instead of the people that are passionate about their God. Amen. The writer of Hebrews said to the Gentile people, Do not boast yourself against the branches, the natural branches of Israel. If I did not spare those natural branches, I cut them off to graft you in and give you a chance to know me. Don't ever think for a moment that I won't pass you by for somebody that loves me, somebody that is passionate. If they have a heart for me, I can reveal truth to them, but I can't work with the dead church. I can't work with a person who's going to offer me the scraps of their life and the leftovers and that which is lame. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. For every time we come into his presence with singing and into his courts with praise, his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise, and into his presence with singing, the Bible would say elsewhere, it should be like this incense. It should be free. It should be deep. It should be passionate. It should be sacrificial. It should be free. Amen. It should be deep. Praise God. It should be energetic. It should be sacrificial. Our worship should give to God that which God deserves. Amen. Why don't you stand, please? Worship team, come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
Psalm 54 and 6, I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord. Psalm 107, 21, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men and let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. I'm talking about sacrificial worship right now. Hebrews 13, 15, the New Testament. But let, but by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, he tells us what it is. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Worship should be generous and deep and energetic and sacrificial. And it should be sincere originating from a heart that is right with God. Amen? We need more of the demonstration of the power of God. And what took place around here on Sunday in both services is indicative of us being reminded of how important worship is to our great God. Last Wednesday night, I spoke about the connection between worship and service that you will serve what you worship. Amen? And tonight I wanted us to take a look at the ingredients of worship because God created incense out of these four ingredients and they they kind of have application to the way we worship God. And there's plenty of scriptural evidence of all of those ideas of application into the way we praise Him. Amen. I want us to just bow our heads for a moment then we're going to come worship. God, Lord, I thank you tonight for your word that is true and powerful. I thank you, Lord, tonight for your spirit that is flowing among us. And I pray right now, Jesus, that you would let us purify our hearts before you. For, Lord, you know and I've observed what you already know is the people who are walking in a right relationship with you are easy to be moved to worship. And I pray today, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, that you would help us, oh God, be clean before you, that you would forgive us of our sins, that you would be a Savior to us, Lord, and let the blood of Jesus Christ cleanse us from all sin. For your word said, Lord, that the blood of Jesus Christ does cleanse us from all sin. And that if any sin, Lord, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, Lord. And your word says that if we would confess our sins, that you would be faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I pray right now, God, to this faithful crowd of people on a Wednesday night, Lord, many who serve in ministry, help us, oh God. Always have a heart that is passionate for you is walking with you in right relationship and that demonstrates the incense of worship to you, O God, offering you the very best that we have. In Jesus' name, I pray. And everybody said amen.